That's somebody got to be a salesperson. Crazy. Middle of church. They're not in church on Dally. Um, okay. Well, let's go to Exodus and Mount Sinai. Have you ever noticed sometimes people just can't take no for an answer? When you don't answer, they just call you right back. Huh? Oh, no, that's the same number. It's like, you didn't hear me calling you? Yeah, heard you, don't want to talk to you. So, um, all right, we're going to be in chapter... Chapter 19. I got a voicemail now. Let's bless them. Uh, we've already talked a little bit about Mount Sinai. We don't know exactly where it is, but it, it's all probability it's in that area of the Sinai Peninsula. We're going to be in verse 5, Caleb. Um, I'm just going to summarize that. But we know they've been out of Egypt for three months. God's already destroyed the Egyptian army. Nobody's chasing after them. Uh, they've been in a area with some water, and and uh, God's letting them rest up. Now they're going to make us another journey on down into the desert area of the Sinai. Uh, but God's about to speak to them and show them some things, and and uh, some miraculous things that really I don't think they were able to grasp. The, the magnitude of meeting with God, even though they're, they're not allowed up on the mountain, they're going to see God's presence. Folks, I, I've never seen anything like this, but I have felt God's presence in such a mighty way that it's, it's, it's almost eerie that when you're in a place with a bunch of godly people and they're praying and God begins God's spirit begins to work. It's it's all around you. It's just it's just a you, you just can't describe it. And you wish that we'd live like that every day. But Barbara and I've had the privilege of being with when we were doing volunteer mission work and stuff, being with a bunch of real godly men and women and and you'd have a worship service and it's just uh wonderful. And, and uh, it's because everybody there is of one accord. And I'm here to tell you when a church and everybody comes of one accord, that's when the Spirit of God begins to work. And, and, and that's what's missing in so many uh, places. But when you get there, you just feel God's presence. And so this is what they're experiencing here at Mount Sinai. So... God begins to speak in verse 5. says, Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my own possession among the, all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. Well, let's look at that. He put some stipulation about how he... You know, God never asks you to get up and, and do certain tasks or various things. Don't... He asks you to be obedient. And that may involve some of these other things. 
But part of the trust in your walk with God is learning that when He speaks to you about things you need to do, that you trust Him enough to do those things. And, and, and that's what He's seeking from all His people today as well as then. It's just to obey His voice. Now, first of all, they had no way in this day to hear God's voice except through God's people. The prophets. What do you have that they didn't have? Well, you got the Bible. What else? You got the Holy Spirit. You can pray to God. The Holy Spirit will tell you and reveal to you what God is telling you. He helps you interpret His Scriptures. And then on top of that, you've got people of God to, to preach and proclaim. You've got so much more to hear God's voice. The question is not whether you can hear His voice, but will you hear His voice? Because you see, people choose not to hear. Sometimes they choose not to hear because they're afraid of what He's going to say. We're all old. I know we were perfect kids when we grew up. Never disobeyed mom and dad. And now you're raising kids and grandkids. And how many times have you spoken to them and you swear up and down they didn't hear words you said? You know, when they're going through that terrible twos or the terrible teenage years and you tell them don't do anything and you look at them and they're saying, and you know in their mind they're saying, uh-uh, I'm going to do it just to spite you. They still do it in the 40s. But, but God's looking at us to hear His voice and obey. And then He says, keep my covenant. A covenant is not a promise. A covenant was a considered a legal binding agreement between two individuals. We don't have to worry about God break, breaking His part. That's why I tell you, if you're saved, you're saved. Now the question is, are you truly saved? Only you can look into your heart and say that. But if you're saved, God's not going to jerk that and take that away from you. You're saved by faith. So I tell people, I said, how can you, if you're saved by faith, the only way I know that you can lose your salvation is you lose your faith, which tells me you didn't ever have it to start with. Well, what if I go out and kill somebody? Well, I'm going to say you didn't walk with God because God's not going to tell you to go kill somebody. Yeah, and, and, and stuff. But but you, you're not saved by works, so you cannot lose your salvation by works. Saved by faith. But look into your hearts, God. If you've got the idea that you want to just go commit murder somewhere, there's something messed up right here. Because that's not what God wants you to do. Now, if you kill somebody in self-defense or protection, something that's different. War is looked at differently. But if you're going to go out and do you better check your check your walk. If you want to steal something, you better check your walk. You're not saved by works, therefore you're saved by faith. And God makes a covenant with us that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. 
The problem is we break that part of the covenant. They would break this covenant. But he tells them, obey my voice and keep my covenant. You shall be my own possession. Now, I don't know who you'd rather own you, the devil or God. Because some folks, I think they like the devil owning them because they just tend to let Satan have access to all their life. But I want God owning me because I can trust him. Don't always understand what he's wanting to do, but eventually he always shows me. I just got to be patient and go through it. But this is a promise here to the Israelites. That's why I say even today in their rebellion and everything that they've done, they're still God's people because he has chosen them. He made a covenant with Abraham. He made a covenant with Moses. He made a covenant with the people. And they're going to always have a special place in it. But they're going to have still be held accountable. Verse 6, And you shall be, be to me a kingdom, a priest, a holy nation. There are, uh, these are the words that you shall speak to the sons of Israel. Next to the prophets of God, the priest held the most highest position in relationship to God. You ministered, the priests were to minister to God himself in the temple. And yet he looks at all of them, he said, you will be a kingdom or a large group of priests. In other words, you all will be priests and walk with him. A holy nation. You'll be like no other nation. And these words are given to the Israelites on this journey to Sinai of who they are and the specialty of who they are. Verse 8 is what the people said. All the Lord has spoken, we will do. You can underline that and say, liar, liar, set your pants on fire. Humans have a bad tendency of making a promise and then breaking that promise. At the moment, there's no doubt. When they made this, they, they intended to do that. But do you know how long it would be before they broke this promise? Huh? Less than 40 days. I don't know exactly how long, but when Moses is up on Mount Sinai and stays 40 days, he spends 40 days on Mount Sinai meeting with God. Within that 40 days, they've already convinced Aaron to build them a sacred calf made of gold. They begin to practice all types of immorality and everything else, party and just do whatever. Make plans to go back to Egypt. So this promise they just made is less than 40 days holding on. The thing is, they make that and God knows exactly how long it'll last. Yet he didn't rebuke them. And Moses brought back the words of the people and gave them to the the ones the Lord had given him, give them to the people. And the people are agreement. Then verse 9, he says, Behold, I will come to you in a thick cloud, so that the people 
may hear when I speak with you and may also believe in you forever. Aunt. It's going to go on down. It's going to describe that what they need to do in preparation for God to come on the mountain. So you're standing at the base of a mountain. You're going to look. You're going to see this great cloud come down on the mountain. You're going to know Moses is up there. You will hear God's voice speak to him. They also hear a trumpet blowing. I don't know about you, but I'm thinking if I'm hearing God's voice booming out across the desert, I hear this great trumpet blowing and don't know where it's coming from, I would think that would kind of get my attention. Because I would realize there's something special here. So God's telling them exactly what's going to happen when He comes. He's going to come three days later. He said, go down and get them ready. He said, I want them to be sanctified and, and, and consecrated. They're to cleanse yourself, get around. They're to build these boundaries around and says that if anybody crosses that boundary and tries to attempt to go up on the mountain, they will surely die. That he will kill them. Any animal, human, or whatever. So in other words, if you like your dog, do not let him cross this line. Human nature tends to be, you draw a line and what do you do? Somebody's got to cross it just to say, well, let's just say. Some people out of their zeal and excitement to hearing God's voice would want to go. But God says, no, obey my voice. Stay where you're to be. Because if they begin to flood the mountain, they would have all been destroyed. So he's doing it for their protection. You ever thought about God putting boundaries around you for your own protection? Maybe he's protecting you from a situation that you're not aware of. That could cost you a life. I believe that. That God's angels are sent to protect us and be boundaries. Don't know. And, and I've shared with you a story about the old lady that pulled out in front of me and Bud Hicks coming home from school and we was in a hurry. Poking along and it was meeting cars. We were on that little old side street, old 77. And if, if, it, if it had been half a chance, we would have passed her. We stuck behind her, couldn't get around her. About that time, that log truck made that turner off of 338 under there and just lost every log that was on that truck. And me and Bud looked at each other and said, if that old woman hadn't been there slowing us up, that's just about where we would have been. The boundary was an old woman in a car driving about 20 miles an hour. And I remind myself that even now when I'm wanting to pass somebody, and if you pass them and somebody else in front say, okay, maybe God's holding me back from a situation. Because I've never forgotten that, where I would have been. And that's back when, that's the old time, I remember they hauled saw logs to cut cross ties. They were cutting pin oak logs. Three people couldn't reach around. And that's what rolled off right there. Wouldn't have done much for that little Chevrolet truck we was in. But God puts boundaries, and He expects us to respect those boundaries. That's why He tells us a lot of times about things that we should do and not do, because there's boundaries in our lives to protect us and to uh, allow us to live and be ready for them. 
But what was interesting to me, Moses does all this, goes back on the mountain. God sends him back down to tell him again. And I thought, you told him once. Moses is getting wore out going up and down this mountain. But why did God send him back down? One time's not enough for a lot of people. So he sends him back down to warn him again before he goes back up for 40 days. So this is an ongoing deal. God reveals himself there. And, in, and on over in verse 18, we see exactly what's going on. As Moses records, he said, Now Mount Sinai was all in smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And smoke as ascended like the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mountain quaked violently. That's pretty awesome to me. To sit there and watch in the middle of the wilderness. And God's telling you what He's going to do. And He does it right in front of you. And the whole earth begins to shake and quiver. And then... Moses is told to go up to the top of it. This is what I'm going to tell you about Moses. Wherever Moses was walking, there was nothing shaking or quivering. He had a clean path because God was taking care of him. But he had to trust God as the whole world was falling apart around him. He had the journey. Now think about what's going on in his mind. Surrounded by fire, smoke, this old mountain is shaking. And God's saying, come on up here, Moses. Moses had come a long ways in a short period of time. Remember, probably six months prior to this, he was tending sheep out in this area. Maybe, maybe nine months his first journey up Mount Sinai was the burning bush where he met with God. Now he's up there and he's coming face to face with God. I'm telling you, that'd be a pretty awesome experience, wouldn't it? To be face to face with the Holy God and yet the world's falling apart around you and your path. Perfectly, you say, well, how do you know that? The Bible don't say that. I know my God. You walking with God, it don't matter what's happening around you. Your journey will be made peaceful all the way. He's not trying to destroy Moses. He's trying to reveal who he is to over a million people. It's what I talked about with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. God glorifies Himself by revealing things to people that only He can do. Sign after sign after sign. Water from the rock, quail, manna, Red Sea split, Red Sea closed in, killed your enemies, Pillar of fire, cloud by day, 
ten plagues, your firstborn protected to Passover? How much more do you need? I'd ask people that today. How much more do you need? You look around and you can't see God in every, everything we look at. He's everywhere, folks. The beauty and all that he, He's doing. J.R., when I was talking to him today, he said just a few weeks ago or, or back a few months, I don't remember, he said he got real deathly sick. And he finally, he'd about like Erwin, he, he wasn't much on going to the doctor either. But he finally decided after two weeks he needed to go to the doctor. They couldn't figure out anything wrong with him. Blood pressure was up a little bit. He said, man, he'd been doing some praying. He said he was so sure he was going to die, he had already made his list of pallbearers and his funeral service. He said, I'm fixing to die. He said he just continued to pray, and then he said, that quick. Whatever was there left him. Doctors had no no idea. Doctors did nothing. No medicine, no shots, no prayer. It just left him. He said, I went from thinking I was going to die to feeling great. I'm not shocked that God did that. I'm not shocked that the doctors couldn't find something. It could have been a spiritual battle. Could have been a natural thing that God removed. I don't know. But I know it left as he prayed and earnestly prayed. And I believe every word he said. J.R. is not known for lying or expanding the truth. And if he tells you that, that's what happened. Because I know my God. I know your God. I hope you know your God. So they do all these things. Verse 19 says, And when the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke and God answered him with thunder. I can't interpret thunder, but I got a feeling that what Moses was hearing was not just thunder. But he was hearing the voice of God speak to him. Verse 20, The Lord came down on the mountain, the top of the mountain, and the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up. The Lord spoke to Moses, Go down, warn the people, so that they do not break through the grave. This is where that first trip up where he goes back down. And then Next week, we'll look at the Ten Commandments because that's when he goes back up there to receive the Ten Commandments. Why did God choose Moses to see so much? What made him special? When did, what did Moses do to be so chosen by God? I'm going to tell you what Moses did. Nothing. He was chosen before he was born by God 
He didn't go do anything to become special. God chose him from the time he was born and even prior, and he orchestrated everything in his life to be here. Our little old minds think, I've got to do something to be special. Folks, you don't do anything to be special for God. God calls you to the journey that you've got. And if you're not content with that, then you're not content with what God's calling you to do. What you've got to be content with is whatever God's called you to do, you do that and be happy with that. Because that's exactly what God saw that he wanted you to be. Where are people that think we want to climb this ladder to get somewhere, to be successful, to have this or that? I've got to do all these things. But before you were ever conceived in your mother's womb, God already had a plan for your life. If you want to be happy with your life, live that life doing what God's called you to be. And don't look for anything else. Just follow Him. And you'll know you're right in the will of God. Boy, I've heard hundreds of people. Man, I just, I, I wish I knew what God's will is. Well, what's He telling you? I don't hear Him telling me nothing. Then undoubtedly you're doing what God wants. Because when He gets ready to tell you something, He'll tell you to move or to do this. I promise you, I've heard that. I've argued with Him. I've debated with him. I've questioned him when I got there. Because there's been a few times I've been going up some of them mountains and they've fallen apart around me. I say, Ooh, you sure you know what you're doing? When he brought me back to Omaha, you sure, God? Why are you bringing me back to First Baptist Church, Omaha, Texas? My wife, I tell you, I did not want to do that. I couldn't imagine what God had in store for me. But he brought me back for one purpose, and that was to start this church, and that's where he wanted to put me. Put me right there to bring those out that needed to help me start this thing. And that's what he's done. And as I look back over 20 years, it makes sense. And once I finally resolved in my mind I was supposed to, because he made that definite. I knew exactly. And when, I, when it sank in, I said, okay. That's when I called the committee and told them I was putting my name back in the hat. And they said, well, we're fixing to bring somebody in view of a call. I said, y'all do whatever you need to, but God's told me I'm going to be your preacher. Okay, Dwayne, well, whatever, but we got a guy, we were, we're going to be bringing view of a call this next Sunday. Two days later, they called me and we said, we, we don't know what's going on, but God told him not to come. Hmm. Maybe God's wanting you to come. I said, I, that's what he's telling me. Didn't understand it all. But he brought me here 
and put me in a place that I I had left years before as a as a when I started my ministry and never in my wildest dream dreamed I'd ever come back. And he brought me back. And he put me here. And he led me to start this church. Because that's what he's called me to do. I've tried to leave this thing a couple of times thinking I need to move on. Different situations, but it just wasn't working out. I thought I wanted to retire. I wore out and give out and was working, pastoring. And to be truthful, I just got mad at all kinds of people because I'd had fought some spiritual battles and I said, I want out. I'll take care of my old people and that's all I want to do. You can have the younger generation. God said, no, you just take your break. I'm going to put you back in there. And I don't know why. Because I have never done anything to be where I am. And you didn't do anything to be where you are. But God put you there and brought you here. And He put you in this church to be a part of this church. And to be successful in what He's called you to do, all you got to do is obey His voice and do what He's called you to do. And give Him the glory and listen to Him and you will accomplish what you're supposed to do. So rejoice that God's called you and put you here. And you can't go wrong. Listen to His boundaries. Don't tempt him. Don't try to get ahead of him. Don't lag behind. You need to be right there with him. Because if you're in front of him, he'll turn and go down another trail and he'll let you keep right on going. He'll say, I'll call you in a little bit. You'll find out you're lost. You have stayed too far back. You'll miss out on what's going on. A lot of Christians have missed out on what's going on because they drug around back there not doing what God's called them to do. And His kingdom just kept right on moving. And He left them laying in the dust where the wolves and varmints could destroy them. Amalekites. Who did they attack? The stragglers. A lot of times that's who Satan attacks is the stragglers, the ones who are not spiritually walking with God because that's the weakest link because they're not where they need to be. And he loves a straggler because he knows he can attack them. Blessed be the name of the Lord for he is my God. Blessed be His worthy and holy name. May we grow in our faith. May we grow in our knowledge. May we grow in our walk. And may You always reveal our weakness, Father, so that we can grow in that faith. I ask it in Your Son's name. Amen. God bless you. I'm letting you out two minutes early. John, you can take this two minutes.